a couple weeks ago, we were sitting down and we are having a family dinner. And I was really excited because we were having a family dinner that wasn't takeout. It wasn't drive-through. We were actually all sitting down together around a table, a kitchen table. We're eating and we're having a real conversation. My fact checker's here in the front row, so you can uh, check with her side of the story afterwards. But, but here's how it happened in my head. Here's how it was playing out. In my head, it was playing out like a Norman Rockwell painting. You remember those? Maybe you've seen some of them. Maybe you don't know who it was, but everything's just perfect, right? Everything's going really, really well, and, and we're talking, we're having this conversation, and, and somehow the conversation turned to animals. I've got two young girls who love animals, and we're talking about animals, and, and then I thought, I'm going to be a great dad. What kind of animal do you think you are? And we're talking about animals that are intelligent, and we're talking about animals that are beautiful, and we're talking about animals that are fun-loving, just like my girls. And so as we're having this conversation, then um, somehow it turned towards me. And, uh, and Laura said something to the effect of, you know what you are. I asked, I asked, and the response that came back was a rhino. And she wasn't making a political statement. She's talking about this. We have a picture here in case you haven't been on a safari lately. This was me. And, and fellas, just in case you're wondering, this is not a compliment. This is not a compliment. She wasn't commenting on my strength or something like that. She was commenting... I'm going to guess, at least this is what comes into my mind, um, about thick skin, that you're not very sensitive the way you could be sensitive. And, and rhinos don't have good eyesight. They're blind to a lot of things that, uh, that other, other people can see. And rhinos, when they're provoked, and sometimes when they're not provoked, what do they do? They charge. I think your word was trample. They trample. <laughs> and so... You know, I, I resisted the urge to say, well, you know what you are, you know. I, <laughs> and I'm, I'm really glad that I resisted that. That would not have helped, fellas. That, that would not have helped, um, just so you know. Uh, but, but this is what she's thinking. And where my mind did go is, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't want to set out to rip, marry a rhino. That was not one of your goals in life. I want to go find a rhinoceros and, and marry this guy. You know, like most couples... Most couples, here's, here's, if I were to graph a relationship, at least when you start out, um, here's me looking nothing like a rhinoceros. Here's Laura in all of her stunning beauty and, <laughs> and charm and grace. And, and, and when, you're, when you're first starting out, you're, you're coming together. There's, there's, for most of you, you've experienced it. They call it chemistry or magnetism. It, it's almost like there's something that's pulling the two of you together. And there's something to the chemistry, there's something to the magnetism, we'll talk to that another day, but what I wanna, one, of, one of the things I want to chart here is one of the reasons we feel such an attraction and we feel so much love for one another, why we can picture that this is just going to keep going and going closer and closer together, we're going to be spending our lives together, this is going to be wonderful, is because in our relationship we have what I'm going to call the love bucket, all right? Those of you who are lead companies and stuff like that, you might have driven, drawn vision buckets and things before. You can use this for a lot of different things. But in relationships, we have this, this bucket of love that, that can get filled. It can get filled. And when you're in the early stages of relationship, there is a gush into this bucket. Because you're constantly pouring in. You're saying nice things to each other. You're, you're bringing gifts to one another. You're carving out time for one another. You are setting a priority on that relationship. And so there is this, this pouring into the relationship. And for most couples in this stage, this thing is full, possibly even overflowing. Because there is this huge, 
huge investment into the relationship. And so the bucket fills up. So it makes sense that you can picture a future together because why would you not want a future together with this amazing person who makes me feel so amazing when I'm with them, who loves me and cares for me and, and all these kind of things, the, the anti-rhino kind of stuff that, that, that they do. So that's most relationships before the honeymoon ends. And the honeymoon ends and a different life begins. And here's just some, some things. We, we, if you ever feel like you're, you're challenged in marriage, it makes complete sense why we all are challenged in marriage. Because work or school or both demands your energy and attention. It doesn't request it. It demands it. It demands that you pour into those things. And if you have kids come into the picture and all that comes with them, it demands that you pour also into to them. Your home, whether it's an apartment or house or townhouse, and all the stuff that fills it, it demands that you pour into it. Your extended family, your friends, your own personal desires, your, your goals, your dreams, that also demands that you pour into it. So what once was this huge pouring, almost exclusively sometimes, into the love bucket as at the expense of almost all else, sleep, everything, other relationships, all of a sudden when all this kicks in, what once was this big waterfall becomes more of a trickle. And what happens here, and some of you have seen me draw this before, we're going to be adding some new stuff to this chart today. Instead of, instead of these, these feelings for affection and, and, and this just magnetism that comes from having this full bucket, instead of being pulled together just to survive, it begins to look more like this, like parallel lines, where you're trying to live life, and she's trying to live life, and maybe once in a while you check in with each other. You know, maybe you can carve out a date night here and there. Guys, Valentine's Day, two weeks away. Remember it. Um, you know, we, we touch and check in on stuff like that, but for the most part, we're so busy with all these other things going on that our lives look more parallel than they do really coming together. And what makes things even worse is the love bucket leaks. In fact, that's a, that's a key thought. Would you please repeat after me? Love buckets leak. All right, say it with me. Love buckets leak. Fellas, say it out loud and proud. Love buckets leak. Ladies, love buckets leak. They do. And there's all kinds of things that can cause leaks. Here's just a small sampling of things. Someone has to work late. Leak. Someone forgets to pick up the milk. Leak. Someone leaves dishes in the sink or socks on the floor. Leak. Someone says the wrong thing or doesn't say the right thing. You know what I'm talking about. Leak. Um, so someone does the wrong thing or doesn't do the right thing. All these leaks. And there's, there's just more. We disagree about parenting. Leak. We disagree about how time should be spent. Leak. We disappear, disagree about where money should go. Leak. We disagree about where to spend holidays or how to spend them. Leak. We disagree about which friends and coworkers and we should have and which ones are bad influences. That's a leak. Here's a couple more. You, if you feel like you're doing a disproportionate amount of the work, that feels like a leak. If you feel like they're not really listening, it's a leak. If you feel like they owe you an apology that they're not giving, that's a leak. And then these ones, these are big leaks. If you feel like your spouse cares more about something else, that's a huge leak. And an even bigger one, if you feel like your spouse cares more about somebody else than they care about you, that's a leak. And so our love bucket leaks. 
And the, once you're in a marriage, you're going to be springing these leaks a lot more than when you were dating. Some of the leaks are little. A little bit of water comes out. And if there's an affair, that's the bottom dropping out. So the leaks can be in different sizes and, and shapes, but, but the love bucket leaks. And so think about the implications of this. Think about the implications of less going in and more coming out. And if you ever feel like, wow, our relationship isn't what it once was, it makes complete sense why that is. If you're just going through life, we're using the, the word coasting here today. If you're coasting in your marriage, if you're just trying to kind of survive, this is, these are the forces you're battling. And it makes sense why so many people say, feels dead, I feel empty. Complete sense why that is. And what starts to happen here is you can only maintain this so long. What will start to happen is instead of parallel lives, you start to drift apart. And not only will you start to drift apart, resentment starts to build up. All kinds of things start to build up. You start to put walls between each other. Barbed wire on the walls. People with machine guns shooting at each other. I mean, they, depending on your situation. You know, it, 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 it is a painful place to be. And um, for those of you who've experienced um, the pain that comes with loneliness, of, of being alone outside of a marriage, there are those that would say that pain, as hard as it is, is less than the pain of being in a marriage and feeling lonely. Or in a marriage and feeling like this is falling apart. And that's not taking anything away from the loneliness of, 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 of a single who longs to be married. That's saying, take that deep pain, add even greater pain. In fact, the list of things that are more pain-filled or more stress-filled than feeling like your marriage is a lie or feeling like your marriage is, is falling apart, the list of things that hurt worse than that, it's a very short list. A very, very short list. Yet that's where your marriage heads if you just are doing life. If you're coasting. That's where it heads. Let's not close in prayer right now, how about? <laughs> Instead, let's, let's look to the scriptures. I, we, we need to do that. And, and what, I, what I found, this is another one of those Sundays where I had some thoughts. I thought, okay, we have this big theme, this idea of how to wreck your life, simple ways. We better put this on there because that's a simple way to wreck your life. I didn't know what scriptures we're going to be looking at and anything. Um, I, I feel like God revealed some essential, essential truth to us today. And it applies to all of us. If you are not married and hope to be married, this could save you thousands of dollars of therapy. And, and more importantly, it, it could save you from doing damage, from getting off to the wrong start. For those of you who are in a marriage, this is how we can turn things around. For those of you who don't fit one of those two categories, you know people who are married. This is a source of wisdom that you can point them to that is countercultural to what most people are saying. So this is something for all of us. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you with one. You need this. You're going to see today this is practical wisdom. It not only talks about eternity, it has stuff for us right now. So please take one free. We have them back there for you uh, today, right back there uh, in the back room. Okay, here we go. 
I'm going to read through this really quick, even though this is something to really savor. Husbands, it says in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, don't let this verse just pass you by. This is the one we want to focus on. This mystery is profound. And I'm, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, Ephesians 5. If, almost any time we ever talk about marriage, which will be at least once or twice a year. In, almost any time we talk about marriage, we're going to come through Ephesians 5. It is one of the most complete teachings on marriage that you're going to find. In, in the scriptures. It is like a treasure trove that you can go and grab lots of treasure and bring it out and go back and there's more treasure to grab. The, the piece I want us to zero in on is not the whole thing, but this whole idea, the mis- this mystery is profound. And what he's talking about here in marriage, human marriage, somehow is linked to the relationship between Christ and his church. There's a link there. Now, this is not the only place you find this. This is in a letter to a church in Ephesus. It's written by a first um, century disciple of Jesus named Paul. But this isn't the only place you find this teaching. In fact, uh, we can put both these on the screen. Thanks. Um, We've got this letter to the church in Ephesus by Paul that that brings up this imagery that, that somehow there is this link between marriage and the relationship between Christ and the church. You also see that in the book of Revelation. I've been reading through um, the works of John. When it comes to Easter, as we move towards Easter, we're going to spend nine weeks in John's writings, learning about the Christ. And so I've been reading through them. Um, First century disciple Jesus named John wrote this revelation. He got this revelation and wrote it down. He uses the same imagery. He says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the what? The marriage, the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride, meaning the church, has made herself ready. So you see that not only Paul uses that imagery, you see it in other places in the scripture. Now, that isn't something that was new to me. I I knew that before um, starting this week. But this week I made a connection that I had never made before. I I had missed this. That in Ephesians 5, this letter to the Ephesians, you have the most profound teaching on marriage that, that that, that exists in the scriptures. Well, I don't know about most profound, but the most lengthy, most complete teaching. That's to the Ephesians. Take a look at this. I, I came across this um, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. It says this. To the angel of the church of what? Ephesus. The same Ephesus. So there's this other letter. Not, this isn't Paul's letter. This is a different letter to the church in Ephesus. Right. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But 
have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. I've never seen that connection before. That these two um, passages, these, these two books that are talking about this marriage of Christ and the church and mar- human marriages, I, I never saw um, these, these links, uh, links before, at least not, um, not the way I saw it this, this week. Now, I think the timing is important here. The letter to the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote came first, and then John's letter. In fact, depending on what scholars you consult, there was probably about a 30 to 40 year gap of time between these two letters, both to the church in Ephesus. So there's this gap in time. And it's interesting if you were to look at um, the early you know, uh, chapters of, of the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote, he's commending them. And, and he commends them for having a full love bucket. doesn't use that same language, but... If you look, look up Ephesians 2.15, he's commending them. He's commending them for a vibrant faith in Christ. And he's commending them for their love for the saints, which is the church. So he's commending them. You've got a real vibrant faith. You, you, you really are expressing love for the church. So love bucket. Your, your love bucket's full. So that's 30 years prior. 30 years later, they're still being commended. But you notice how the commend shifts. It's no longer, hey, great job on keeping that bucket plugged up and full. Now they're being commended because they said, you're commended for your toil, your patient endurance. You're hanging in there. When other people are giving up, you're hanging in there. And that's commendable. Way to go. You know, and now I'm elaborating all these words certainly are in there. You just saw how it was written. But it's almost as if, okay, this is hard, it, and, and I get that, and I want to commend you. I want to commend you for keeping on, way to go, way to hang in there. But even as he commends them for that, is that all that God has for his church? Is that all God wants for his bride? Does God want only for you to hang in there in this world? Do your best not to give in. Do your best to recognize true doctrine from false doctrine. Give your best to, you know, live a good life until you die. Is that all he has for his bride? Oh, no. The fruit of the Spirit is to include things like joy and peace and all these great things. That's that's also what he wants. He, He doesn't want us just to toil and endure. He wants us to experience that. For his people, his church, he wants you to experience what... Many of you women experience on the women's retreat. He wants you to feel support and encouragement from one another, cheering each other on. He, he wants us to experience the wonder of God speaking into us and guiding us in our decisions and feeling strength that we wouldn't have had and, and to feel power that we wouldn't have had and, and to see him doing miracles through us. He wants more than for us to just toil and endure. He wants more for his bride than that. you think he also wants more for our marriages than for us to toil and endure? And there are people in this, this, this room, and I'm not singling any of you out. This is, just, this is just reality. There are people, you are to be commended for hanging in there. That your marriage has been hard. That, that 
your marriage may have gone from this to this to this. And, and, and because you don't want to give up, because you know what the scripture says you know, about divorce, you're, you're hanging in there and you're, you're, you're toiling and you're, you're patiently enduring. God, God wants more for you than that. And, and I hope as we look at what we're about to look at, you can see that there's things you can do. There's things you can do. The other person in the relationship has choices that they have to make. But there's a roadmap here. There's a roadmap that, that, that you can apply. And let's take a look at, at, at what that is. Um, here's how it is written, word for word, in Revelation. This is, again, this is, this is the advice. Not advice. This is the instruction. Advice is too light. This is the instruction given to the church. This is the instruction given to the church. Hey, you lost. You abandoned your first love. You abandoned it. Here you go. Here's your instruction. I see three things here. I see remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. I see that as an instruction. I see repent. And then I see a third thing. Do the works you did at first. I see this as instruction given to a church that abandoned its first love. What if we reverse engineer that? We've seen that there's links there between marriage and, and the, the relationship between the bride and the church. What if we re, reverse engineer this? What if we apply this not just to the church? What if we apply this to us and our marriages and our relationships? What might that look like? If you have um, your, your Bible, or your Bible, if you have your notes, please pull those out and write this down. Restoring love and intimacy. If you're feeling like, hey, we're not here, <laughs> our bucket looks like this, and our relationship looks like this, here's, here's some instructions. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to say the word advice. These are instructions. First one, remember what marriage can be. Remember what marriage can be. If you focus on the toil and the, the patient endurance, it's going to be miserable. I, I think about the Olympics. Um, I believe the Olympics are coming to London this, uh, this summer. And if you were an Olympic athlete and you only focused on your training, good luck winning that medal. You're probably going to give up. If you're just toiling and enduring because your coach says do this, good luck. Not giving up. And instead, you got to see yourself up there on the stands. You got to see your flag coming up. You got to hear people cheering because you gave this profound performance that was among the best in the world. That's what you want to capture if you want to keep going. Because an Olympic athlete, they got to sacrifice. They got to sacrifice. They got to sacrifice. And if it's all about the sacrifice and not about what you're sacrificing for, what a miserable place to be. And early on, before we're married, most of us, we have a picture of what we're going for. And that's one of the things that's bringing us together. You know, we're, we're picturing this, this life. And we see the day and we see us standing up before a crowd of witnesses. And we see each other looking into each other's eye and saying, this is it. Till death do us part, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. She says, knock that off. I mean, and so, you, you know, that's what we see. That's what we see. And so we have this dream of what could be, of growing old together and, and, and all these wonderful things. We have this dream of what can be. And you lose sight of the dream. Then it just becomes toil and patient endurance. And regardless of where your relationship is at, what if you started asking God, could you give me a new vision of what could be? You can't go back, but what if, what if you've got a vision for what could be from this day? That, that five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 
could be that, that little couple that comes in. They're walkers, but their arm is around each other. No, I was going to say open the doors, but the thing does that. The car doors. Opening car doors still for each other. Where, where hands are still being held. Where there's joy and laughter. Where there's none of that. Oh, I remember back in 1947 when she did this. You know, there's none of that. Well, imagine that. Get a picture of that, of what could be if God was able to restore and reconcile. Get that picture in your, in your head. And the reason why I encourage you to do that is because the scripture points us that direction, I believe. But, but, but even beyond just that, with God, all things are possible. And the word says, if you pray according to his will, it'll be done. If there are two believers in this marriage, if there are two believers in this marriage committed to saying, God, we will do what you ask, your marriage will be restored. If you seek God and in his power, do what he asks. Because he wants it. And if you want it, nothing's standing in the way. Now, what gets really hard, that's hard. But what gets even harder is if you feel like, well, it's just me. You know, I want that, but my, my spouse doesn't. And my spouse doesn't even necessarily believe in God. Let me point you where the scriptures point you. Let's take a look at this. Um, this is from First Peter. So another disciple speaking into this. Look what he says. He says, wives, respect your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about outward beauty and fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, and all that. You should clothe yourselves instead with a beauty that comes from within. And in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Look at this, what it says. Treat her as you should, so your what? What does it say? So your prayers will what? Not be hindered. You see that? Treat her as you so, should, so your prayers will be hindered. Go ahead. If you, if you want, just pray. God, fix them, fix them, fix them, fix them, fix them. And then go ahead and point out all their flaws and nag them and guilt them and say, you should this, you should. When you're doing all that, you're just putting holes in the bucket. You're not going to guilt somebody back into loving you. You're not going to nag them back into loving you. You're going to punch them in holes in the bucket. What if you humbled yourself and said, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to be obedient. I'll do what you asked of me. They may choose to reject that. That's the instruction we get from God. And the reason he gives it, because that's instructions that have the best chance of, of working. Which leads us right into the next piece here, this idea of repenting. How do you restore love and intimacy? Well, get a picture of, of what marriage could be and then repent from following the patterns of the world. And again, repentance, I want to, I want to point that back to you. you it's going to be so easy for you to point out all the things they should repent of. That is, that is so easy to point out, well, you should be doing this. That, the scripture doesn't steer us there. The scripture with repentance steers us towards what should you repent from. Look at the log in our own eye. And to look at that and, and then look to God and say, God, help me. Help me. Forgive me. To, 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 to look that place first. To repent means you recognize, you recognize what you're doing is wrong. 
And if you can't think of anything in your marriage that you're doing that's wrong, ask the Holy Spirit, you know, or ask your spouse. And then repent of that. Repent of it. And, and if you're not, that means, you know, you, you, you recognize what you're doing is wrong, and then you, you confess it, and then you, you turn. If you've never done something like that before, here's a, here's, here's a possible prayer that you could pray even right now. Something like this, Father, forgive me for coasting. In fact, I bet every one of us can see part of this in us. Father, forgive me for coasting. Forgive me for abandoning the things that I once did. Forgive me for abandoning the promises I once made to you and to them. Forgive me for allowing resentment and lies to take hold in my heart. Forgive me for giving hopelessness a place in my mind. I ask for your light to shine in these very same places. I ask for your hope and guidance and strength to fill me. I ask for you to send brothers and sisters to encourage me, support me, and speak truth into my life. I ask for you to reconcile and restore what's broken. This I ask in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, part of repentance, again, is the saying you're sorry, but also part of repentance is to turn. And in this life, you're going to need help from God and from others. So ask God to help you with that. Help to identify people who can, who can encourage and support you and provide wisdom and say, you know what, objectivity. Nope. In this case, this would be you being a doormat. That's not good. Here's, here's, here's what it means to do these things in strength and in character. To have people speaking truth into your life as you try to then do this last thing, which is to return. Return to behaviors to prioritize and protect and pour into your marriage. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again. In our culture, this is so hard. Because in our culture, we are trained, we are indoctrinated to put yourself at the center. Every restaurant you go to, if they're trying to make a profit, they're trying to make you at the center. Every business that's trying to make a profit is putting you at the center. Whenever we, you know, they teach us on marketing and stuff, how many times did you use the word you and the benefit for them? So we're used to, we live, we're surrounded with putting ourselves at the center. The scripture points us a different direction when it comes to returning to the practices. It doesn't point us towards saying and identifying all the things they aren't doing. It points us towards pouring into their lives. I think of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 does not say Hey, wives, tell your husbands all the things they should be doing to love you. It says something really challenging. It says, wives, respect your husbands as you would respect Christ. The church is respect Christ. Husbands. It doesn't say, you tell your wife that you should demand, or this way, let me put it this way. The scripture doesn't say, husbands, demand from your wives that they respect you. It doesn't say that. It says, husbands, you man up. And you love your wife the way Christ loved the church. See, what it, see how different those things are? The pour into others. The Bible is so realistic. The Bible is so realistic. It knows that nagging and all that kind of stuff doesn't work. The Bible's realistic. Your hope of changing a heart. How did Jesus try to change the hearts of us? You, you, the hope of changing a heart is to love, to honor, and to respect. That's where it points us towards helping to fill their, their bucket. You know, here's, here's a truth I'd like you to write down as we start to bring this to a close. I encourage you to write this down. Um, this is great wording here. Way to go, Carl. Though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start now to make a brand new ending.
Let me say that again. No, though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start now and make a brand new ending. You know, for any of you who have been married any length of time, we live in a fallen world and we're fallen people. And you've dinged each other up over the years. And you can't go back and undo that. You, you can't go back and undo what's been done. But what you can do right now, if you're saying, hey, this isn't the course we're on, it's this or it's this, you can start now to say, I'm going to, from this day forward, with your help, God, I want to pursue this. You can start to try to make a new ending. If you coast, you're heading here. You can start now to say, I'm going to pursue a brand new ending. You know, um, the week of our dinner uh, that didn't go quite as I had planned um, in my head, uh, it proved to be a really good thing. It proved to be a really good thing. And as I'm looking back on that week, it was, it was a particularly crazy one for us, as most of our weeks are. But this one even more so because you had the retreat coming up. Um, she had the women's retreat. She was speaking on it. And not only that, our, 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 we were down to one vehicle because a vehicle that had gone in the shop, you know, one week was in the other week. And there's all these things that were piling up. So it was a, it was a particularly challenging week. And so um, we got to Thursday, the day before she was to lead to the retreat, and we both had a lot of errands and things to run. And, um, and she said, well, could you come and help me go to Costco? Now, if I were to respond out of my rhino-ness, <laughs> what would be the answer to that question? No, and maybe not the way you just said it from the front there, but no, you know, but, but yeah, it would have been, because it, you know, in my head, it doesn't make sense. That's not as efficient. Come on, just get the stuff. But, but, but I was able to go, okay, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's go to Costco. And then lunch came up, you know, let's have lunch. And, and, um, and so in my head, I'm thinking, of course, Costco's got lunch, you know, and it's cheap and it's right there. (laughs) You guys are laughing. That made sense to me. You know, but she says, how about chilies? You know, and if, if I had been in full rhino mode, if I hadn't been thinking, hey, you're a rhino, don't be a rhino, um, I might have just said, no, it's just, you know. And so we had a great lunch. We had a great lunch at, at, at Chili's, and, and then we, we did our Costco stuff, and we still had some more errands, errands to run. And in my head, I'm mapping out, as we're driving on 694 back towards Roseville area now, I'm mapping in my head, okay, best strategy. She knows to go to Target. I drop her at Target. I've got REI and Staples. I drop her at Target. I hit REI. I hit Staples. Pick her up. We're good. I see some of you shaking your head. Um, that was in my cartoon bubble. And, but as we're going down 694, Laura just looks at me and she goes, hey, this is fun. fun. And this little voice in the back of my head that had read the five love languages registered quick. Oh, quality time. This is filling her bucket. This is good. You know, this is good. And so, um, so, so instead of going all the way to REI, we just, you know, hey, Staples is right across the street. We drop her off at Target, go to Staples, pick her up, and we go to REI together. Well, we're in REI. And this was the one where now I'm kind of, all right, looking at the clock. I'm like, I got, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling stressed, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in. I've got one thing, and I know where it is. You know, I'm, I'm almost thinking, wait in the car, because I know what's going to happen. Um, but but I, 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 I'm being real. You say be real. All right, so... Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, so anyway, so, but, but I go in and, and sure enough, I'm going to point A, which is the only point on, on, on our point of being at the store. And she drifts over to point, you know, point B. And, uh, so she's at point B and finds this furry hat. <laughs> furry hat is not in the budget. Furry hat is not on the agenda. And so I kind of leave her at furry hat. I get the things that we need to get. 
I get in the line, I check out, she's still at furry hat, I go back to furry hat, I'm trying not to say furry hat is furry hat, and the, we just need to go, she, to give her credit, just, you know, okay, puts furry hat back, and we get into the truck, and, and she's not pouting or anything like that, she's just saying, boy, that was a nice furry hat. <laughs> sure did like that furry hat. We're in the truck, we're pulling out of the parking lot. On clearance. And I, and I just, I, I turn around. And she goes, you're turning around. And her eyes get big. Furry hat. And she does like, I mean, and, am I exaggerating? I said, okay. And she, we, we stop. She grabs my hand, pulls me to the store, pulls me to the furry hat. We probably put it on again and looked in the mirror. And then she's singing the furry hat song. <laughs> Were you not singing the furry hat song? Okay, she's fact checking me. And, and we get back in the truck. We get back in the truck. And, and she says, you know, something about the rhino, rhino thing. And, and she says, you know what? The big horn on your nose fell off. Just fell off. And, and I say that not as anything resembling boasting, because I'm telling you I'm a rhino. That's not a boast, all right? But as I reflect back on this, it was the Holy Spirit leading me to do the things that he told the church in Ephesus to do to when I heard something that was hurtful, instead of just responding back and saying, you're a whatever, all I could think of was beautiful swan or, you know, something. <laughs> um, you know, uh, instead, of, instead of making something up just to make myself look good, I, um, you know, I, I, I let that sink in and thought, Laura should not be married to a rhino. And I don't want to be a rhino. And, and, and then, um, so, in, so that whole idea of what do I want? Well, I want, I want us growing closer together. I don't want this. So then there's the whole repentant thing. And, and so there were little opportunities to repent along the way of instead of me just doing my agenda to say, hey, we, we're together in this. Let's, let's work together. My way's not the best. Your way's not the best. Well, let's figure this out. And then returning to things we used to do. We're going to return to this, this topic and take three weeks on it this spring. And we'll have some stories to tell then too of you know, me camping out because we had a thing. And I don't even know what the thing was, but me literally camping out on her deck saying, I'm not leaving until we get this thing fixed. And she's like, fine, you know? And so I'm out there in the cold with my little blanket. Um, you know, but this whole idea where we will, we will go through anything back in the day. Let's return to that. Costco, not a big deal. You know, furry hat, not a big deal. Let's return to the things. Now, is it as easy as that for you? Probably not. But it's not easy for any of us. But God gives us these instructions that we may have life that is greater than the life we have now. I can guarantee what will happen if you ignore it. I can guarantee what will happen if you ignore it. I can give you hope if you don't. Let's, let's pray. Would you please stand and let's pray with it. Father, um, we, we, we join in prayer together. Singles and those who are married and those who have been married for a long time and those who are, We join together as a church family and we just lift up our prayers to you, Father. And we pray that you're that in your goodness you would pour out your spirit in a new way. Give us humility. Give us grace. Give us more endurance and patience. And Father, we pray that you would help us to support one another and care for one another, that we might have the strength to apply this instruction, that we may have hope, that you could work in and through it and change hearts and transform marriages and, and a, a set a new direction that was set off towards a miserable future to one that is filled with possibility.
Lord, may we submit this and all things to you, trusting in your goodness, trusting that you'll walk with us, and putting our, our, our faith in what you've told us to do. Lord, I pray, I pray especially for those who feel like there is no hope, for those who this was a hard lesson because not only are they experiencing that, but, but the things they've experienced, boy, no person should have. Lord, we pray that you bring people into their lives that can speak truth, grace, hope, healing. May they experience you, Father, as their husband, as father, as Lord, as protector, as shepherd, whatever it is they need you to be. Be that for them. And help us to be that for them too. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.